Hi, Scenesters. It's been a minute. Well, one year and two months to be exact. I'm coming at you in this feed to let you know the podcast I work on, the one I put on hiatus to develop this scene podcast. Well, it's back. I am talking about Bedpost Confessions, the live storytelling show that I've been producing for the last nine years in Austin, Texas. It's a show that has connected me to many people, some of which I have interviewed for a scene, like Nikki Devon, Ebony Stewart, Shelby Haddon, and Jay Graham. Our live show has never gone on hiatus, but the podcast did because I needed a break and more people to add to the credits. And I got both of those things, but not enough to where I can produce Bedpost Confessions, the live show, the podcast, the scene podcast, and keep up with my job at South by Southwest, parenting and caring for my two kids with a genetic disease, my marriage, and my friends. Thank you so much for the overwhelmingly positive and encouraging feedback about Scene Season 1. The show has been passed from earbud to earbud by way of enthusiasts who have been left wondering what would be on their scene list. The Scene podcast has been recommended by therapists to their patients, college professors to their students, a scene list has been used for first date fun, and even a place of grounding for a woman who lost her job due to ageism. In one interview recording, the audio engineer confessed he found many connections to his own personal history in the guest scene list. I look forward to when I'm able to get back to the scene podcast because it has meant just as much to me as it has to you. I'm still documenting my scene lists by way of Instagram. Find me at scene with Miranda. That's S E E N. And until I'm able to return to the scene podcast, please enjoy the Bedpost Confessions podcast featuring storytellers and anonymous audience confessions. New episodes releasing the last Friday of every month. Here in its entirety is the latest Bedpost Confessions podcast, episode 117, Jenna Valentine, Sexed Back to Life. I confess, my favorite way to pass the time is impact play, marathon sex, and tacos. I confess I've been polyamorous for a few months. It's the happiest I've been. I confess I'm a 23-year-old straight male. All of the best orgasms of my life have been with something vibrating in my ass. That, that makes sense. It does. For all people. Sex. Almost everybody does it, and almost nobody talks about it, except at Bedpost Confessions, a storytelling show based in Austin, Texas. Whether the stories are funny, informative, political, or completely personal, the anonymous confessions from the audience are the stars of every show. Welcome back to Bedpost Confessions, the podcast. We heard you, we appreciate being missed, and we are thrilled to be back. To get us in the mood and to celebrate the podcast relaunch, we bring you Jenna Valentine's story, Sex Backed to Life, with, of course, a sprinkling of anonymous audience confessions. Jenna Valentine is an intimacy coach, works at a matchmaking firm, and has participated in the storytelling show, Listen to Your Mother. 
Jenna is working on her book, and you can find her at Valentine Care Wellness and at ATX Valentine on Instagram. This was Jenna's first time on the Bedpost stage. One note before we hear Jenna's story. All Bedpost storytelling productions are made accessible to the deaf audience members by the fantastic interpreters from Soul Illumination. Though the interpreters are there to serve the deaf, they enthrall the entire crowd with their beautiful expressions of American Sign Language. If you hear a roar of laughter and don't understand why, the interpreter may have stolen the show for a minute, as Kylie Scholes did with her interpretation of, well, just listen for yourselves. Here is Jenna Valentine with Kylie Scholes providing ASL interpretation. It's a sexy audience, and I think I like it up here, especially from this angle. So my partner of 17 years left me for the nanny. It is cliche as fuck. Thank you. And it's also incredibly sad. I thought I had done everything right. I'd systematically checked off my list of shoulds. Graduate high school, top of my class, check. Graduate college, top of my class, with a dream job lined up working in the foster care and juvenile justice system, check. Marry my high school sweetheart, the man I'd lost my, vir- my virginity to and dated throughout high school, college, and beyond, check. Buy a starter home and paint the white picket fence together while our rescue dog ran around happily in the yard. Yeah, check. Vomit. Have a baby. Become a stay-at-home mom so that I could raise my daughter the way I wanted while her father supported the family financially. Plus, don't get me started on childcare costs in this country. Hire a nanny so I could have a few hours a week of free time so I didn't lose my goddamn mind being a stay-at-home mom with, with the mundane routine and thankless sacrifice and lack of adult conversation, and poop, and crying, and feeling guilty I wasn't working, and feeling guilty for spending a few hours alone to work out, or drink coffee, or just have a phone conversation that wasn't interrupted by a baby's never-ending series of urgent needs. Check. Invite that nanny, a young, beautiful college student, and her shitty dog. Thank you who chewed up everything and shit all over the floor all the time to live with us after her relationship ended and she had nowhere to live. Check. Wake up to an email from my husband. An email. The day before our daughter's birthday. Thank you. (laughs) Saying he no longer loved me and wanted a divorce only to find out several months into divorce proceedings that he and the nanny had been having an affair and they were already engaged. This is really supportive. This feels really good. Thank you. you. This is like therapy. All right. Y'all can see where my master life plan unravels. 
I had been with the same man since I was 15. So when he left, I realized I had no idea who I was as a single woman. I called my best friend crying and asked her, what are the kids even doing these days? (laughs) Ass eating, she replied without pause. Holy shit. (laughs) My ex and I had a satisfactory sex life, but I had never even thought about eating his ass. Did the nanny eat his ass? (laughs) She was younger than me, prettier than me, if you like petite, mousy, weak-looking women who look like they're 12. Kylie is gorgeous. Okay, so that's the pettiest my inner feminist will let me get about another woman. And I'm sure she brought a freshness to sex. I had been traded in for the newer model, who didn't have a post-baby body, a three in front of her age, and over a decade of micro-resentments. So where does that leave me? The single most common thing, the single most common response I got when I told someone I was getting a divorce was, at least you're still young and pretty. You'll be okay. As if my okayness was wholly dependent on my youth and physical appearance. As a woman in her 30s, society had already informed me that my sexual capital and desirability had peaked years ago. I was on the upswing of finding my sexual identity within a social structure that had my sexuality diminishing more and more with every passing moment. So who am I in a world that tells me I'm only okay if I'm young and pretty? Who am I when I'm on my knees going down on a man and from his view, my gray roots are visible? Thank you. Or when I'm riding a guy and I look down and I see the gathering of loose skin and the area under my belly button reminding me of where my baby grew. Or when I take off my shirt and my left nipple is jagged in one area after being cut to remove a lump that never had the chance to become cancer. I'm the 30s version of puberty and it's fucking awkward. I have both pimples and wrinkles I have both daddy issues with my absent father and daddy issues with my daughter's father. I can have sex with both a son and his dad, and the age gaps are relatively appropriate. 
So who am I? Sometimes when I change sex positions too quickly, I get vertigo. And I need a sec. Is that still hot? Yeah, Thank you. And although I'm game for almost any position, sometimes my joints crack. And when you're having sex with a 26-year-old with a SpongeBob tattoo on his back, That probably isn't cool. Am I a MILF? Am I a... <laughs> this feels great, guys. <laughs> Am I a cougar? Do I have intimacy issues? Or would I honestly just rather sleep alone in my bed after the sex is done and a reasonable amount of cuddling time has passed so that I don't look like I'm a fucking leave type? Am I a fucking leave type? Maybe. Or do I not want to layer on the added vulnerability of morning breath and eye goop and maybe the need to take an early morning shit? And stomach gurgling and messy hair that may not be the just-been-fucked look, but is actually just messy and knotted and oily. Because if I'm only going to survive this divorce because I'm young and pretty, there's a lot at stake to stay after the sex is over. Do I hide behind novel sex acts because I think it will enhance my desirability, or because I actually want to do them to make up for almost two decades of monogamy in a non-adventurous partnership? Because I'm finding out that strap-ons and nipple clamps and prostate massage and restraints and toys are fun. Yeah. I'm an eager learner with a curious mind and a challenge-accepted attitude towards sex stuff. But I have to own that I didn't voice my desires during my marriage. I didn't even voice my desires to myself. I deferred to his passions, both in life and in the bedroom, and I thought that that was love. So now am I overcompensating for that version of myself? Am I now overly focused on voicing my passion? And there's a small voice that lingers somewhere in my subconscious that sometimes whispers, maybe if you'd been better in bed, he wouldn't have cheated. Maybe if your pussy was prettier, he wouldn't have looked elsewhere. Maybe, if you'd kept current on the trendy sexual fads, he would still be your husband and not the nanny's. Maybe. And maybe it's that same voice that propels me to master sex rather than yield to its beauty. But maybe it's that voice that leads me to beautiful shenanigans, such as, such as having a one-night stand with a stranger in his apartment with no furniture on a nest of blankets on the floor in the corner. It sounds kind of hot, right? Yeah. But what if I told you he didn't know how to put on a condom, allegedly? 
and I realized I'd never so much as opened a condom wrapper. So I told him to fuck the back of my knee instead. Jenna. And he did. <laughs> and I <laughs> And I drove home laughing and shaking my head and wiping cum off my popliteal crease. <laughs> and vowing to get so good at putting on a condom that I could do with my mouth. Check. This is a weird fucking path. Or path of fucking towards finding my okayness. And I feel a sense of urgency to be internally okay before the sun sets on my external youth and beauty okayness because I'm still learning who I am when I'm consensually choking a partner <laughs> and I notice the skin on my biceps has areas where it's crepey old lady skin over top of the muscles or when I'm giving a hand job or exploring the curves of a woman's body that are so new to me <laughs> and I notice the veins on the backs of my hands are more visible than they were just six months ago. And what does it mean when I both want to dominate and be dominated, depending on the whim of my current mood? But sometimes those ropes highlight the cellulite on my ass and thighs. And I wonder, am I still pretty enough to be okay? <laughs> Thank you. So I'll tell you what I know of who I am in this moment. I'm someone who no longer gives a fuck. Or if I'm honest, I'm someone who's trying desperately not to give a fuck. Thanks. While remaining open-hearted in this sometimes brutal world. My ex-husband left me for a younger woman. There are layers of deception and betrayal and hurt that continue to unfold. And yet they launched me into this new iteration of my life, which I love. I'm in graduate school to become an acupuncturist, and I'm dominating it. I help people find love working at a matchmaking firm and provide intimacy coaching. I box, and I hike, and I write, and I raise my badass daughter. I also get to meet fascinating men and women who let me explore their bodies investigate their minds, and engage with their energies. Sex has been incredibly healing. The people I've shared my body with have soothed my insecurities. They've caressed the loose skin, ignored the pimples, sucked on the scars, kissed the ass dimples, and shown me how to lovingly embrace both my physical body and inner self. Some have wanted more from me than I could offer, and it's been sad. 
Others haven't been able to balance the hyper-intimacy with the extreme casual. I fumbled that delicate balance a few times myself. But I've been extremely fortunate to have met people who have sexed me back to life. They've helped me ramp up my sexual knowledge. Ass-eating? Check. They've created safe spaces for both physical and emotional exploration, and they've asked for nothing more than the present moment from me. These partners have been my training wheels as I found my way back to self-love and acceptance. Some of them are here tonight, so thank you. (laughs) Society may tell me that my desirability is operating on borrowed time, but youth is relative, as is beauty, and I don't plan to give anyone but myself the power to decide if I will be okay. I have a new checklist now. Become a badass doctor. Expand my intimacy coaching business. Get paid to travel the world and help people heal. Try double penetration. Do a pull-up. Raise my daughter to thoughtfully and consciously create her own checklist. Instead of opting for the template version society will hand her. Forgive my ex. Forgive the nanny. Forgive that dog. (laughs) Fuck that dog. Thank you. (sighs) Forgive myself. I'm someone who was lucky enough to get abruptly hurled off the conveyor belt of societal shoulds, but I chose not to get back on. So who are you? What's on your checklist? And does it fill your soul? Thank you for having me. I confess, I took a pastor's daughter's virginity on the altar of his church. And it feels like we're at church. (laughs) Mark your territory. I confess, I once got my ass ate out and farted mid-salad toss. I was then comforted by the phrase, it's talking to me. Bless that man. Excellent. Excellent. Oh my God. It's like a little puppet. Bedpost Confessions is recorded in front of a live audience at the North Door in Austin, Texas. To view upcoming show dates, submit your confession to us, or to snag an I Confess t-shirt, tote, or journal, visit bedpostconfessions.com. Follow at Bedpost Confessions on Instagram and Facebook for more anonymous audience confessions, behind-the-scenes shenanigans, and snapshots of the Bedpost Confessions performers and their stories. Links in our show notes. 
Bad Piss Confessions is produced by myself, Miranda Wiley, and Sadie Smythe. Our podcast production team is Mariah Gossett, Mike Moody, and Permanent Record Studios. Please spread the word that the Bed of His Confessions podcast is back with new episodes releasing the last Friday of the month. Subscribe to the podcast so the new epis will appear in your feed ready for your listening pleasure. And please give our show a five-star rating. And if you're feeling extra generous, post a review. Thank you and keep confessing with Bedpost Confessions.